What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Today, I have a very special guest. I have a man by the name of Roland Frazier. Roland had founded, sold, and scaled two dozen different businesses, ranging from digital commerce to consumer products to industrial machine manufacturing companies, with sales adjusting from $3 million to just under $4 billion. He's currently the CEO of the War Room Mastermind, which is considered one of the number one masterminds out there. He's a principal at digitalmarketer.com. You know, digital marketer Ryan Dice is the CEO of that company. He's a principal at scalable.co, traffic and conversion summit, praxio.com, platter.com, trueconversion.com, big block realty, and the list goes on. The list goes on. Uh, Roland has a real passion for business and putting deals together and is always looking for businesses to invest in or acquire, reposition and sell. Recent strategic partnerships and clients include Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, um, Itihad Airlines, HarperCollins Publishing, FedEx and Uber. Now, by the end of this interview, we'll have a clear sense on how to effectively connect with people and add value to people who don't need anything from anyone. You'll feel like there's a completely different way of living that you were completely unaware of, and you'll get a few actionable action items um, that will move you into the right direction. So, Roland, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. Beautiful. So, uh, we see where you are today. Uh, just to give the listeners some context as to all how this all came about, uh, tell us on how you started your entrepreneurial journey. Um, I, I mean, the if you get past the kind of silly stuff that I did when I was a, a kid, you get the first thing that I really did was uh, I got my real estate license when I was 18. Uh, when I turned 18, I was like, I want to be able to sell real estate. Um, and then in selling that, I pretty quickly saw that it didn't make sense to go and talk to a whole bunch of different people to get listings. So I went to developers and had developers as clients because they had lots of things to sell. So I only had to make one relationship with them. And um, then I asked them how they were raising money. And uh, they told me through syndications, meaning that they got investors and things like that. And I said, how do, how do you do that? And so they kind of showed me how to do that. Um, then I got an insurance license when I was 19. So I could do key man insurance for those deals they did. And then started, I uh, got my securities license when I was 20 to be able to start raising money for deals like that. Did about 10,000 houses up and down the East Coast, all the way down to the Cayman Islands. While I was in school, um, I got an accounting degree and a law degree. And um, through the people that I hung my securities license with, I met the people at Prudential Securities in New York. And this was at a time when leverage buyouts were really popular. So I got introduced to how you buy and sell companies. And um, I did lots of real estate flips and things like that. And using the leverage buyouts, I saw that you could actually do no money down deals with companies. And so that just kind of led me into the world of buying and selling companies. And um, I've been doing that now for you know as long as I can remember. Excellent, man. And I, I know that the cassette tapes, you know, um, the psychology of winning really served as a foundation for you in your earlier years. And I know that you also went into law, you know, your recovering lawyer. Um, now, this is like a two part question here. What were you really obsessed with in your 20s? Was it money? Was it building a network? Were you focused on being a great attorney? Um, the second part of this question would be um, knowing what you know now, would it if it was any different, would you choose to be with something obsessed with something else instead? I would not choose to do anything different. Um, I, I would only, the only thing I would want to do differently would be not to hurt any of the people that I hurt along the way, accidentally not meaning to or otherwise. 
Um, you know, because I am who I am because of all the mistakes I've made and the things I've done and I like me. So, you know, that, that, that's pretty cool, but you know, along the way, certainly, you know, stuff happens. And if that could be taken out of the equation, that would be great. The, I don't have any like specific thing. I'm just being, you know, just saying generally, um, as far as what I was, you know, to go back to that time in my life, um, I was very focused on, I, I always have been actually, and uh, largely as a result of Dennis Waitley's tapes. Dennis Waitley is the author of The Psychology of Winning, and he lives here in Rancho Santa Fe, where I live, and um, and is a friend to this day. I just talked to him wow. last month, as a matter of fact. Um, I think he's, God, he's got to be almost 90 now. He's uh, you know been around for a long time. But um, anyway, through that, so that was, you know, I was really a kid when I discovered that stuff. And my dad was a fan of uh, Bob Allen, Robert Allen, who wrote Nothing Down, which was one of the first real estate books I read. And Bob is here in Rancho Santa Fe too. Uh, and I see him in the post office from time to time. So it's kind of funny, the, the full cycle of everything. But um, yeah, so uh, so during that time, I, I already knew that setting goals was really important. So I started writing my goals down at, you know, around 16, uh, age 16. And so I had categories of goals then just as I do to this day that were in money, physical, finance, emotional, you know, personal development, professional development, uh, relationships, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so I've had that forever, right? So um, I would say I was definitely more money focused though when I was younger than I am now. I was also more focused on winning. Um, so my, you know, that was the psychology of winning. And of course, Dennis is definitely a win-win guy. Um, but I was focused on, you know, how do I, you know, get this deal and make it happen? And you know, um, I'm not that way anymore. I'm much more collaborative. And and um, I, I, over the years, developed a concept I call the fairness zone because I'd find that. If you're a good negotiator, you can get people to do all kinds of deals that they really shouldn't do that aren't fair to them or good for them. And when you do that, they end up just kind of blowing up for whatever reason or, you know, they'll those people will sabotage them. And so I've created this fairness zone con concept where I won't go past what I believe is fair for them to do the deal. Even if they're willing to do it, I won't, you know, I'll be like, nah, that's too much. You know, you know don't, don't give me that much, do this or that, that price is too low. You're going to need more to make that happen, which you, you might say that goes against my interest, but the truly um, experienced person would say, it's actually cheaper for me to make that decision now and let them have more or pay them more or whatever than it is not to, because the deal won't work out, right? They'll find a way. It's just not going to be good. So, um, so that's, that's the biggest change I would say from then to now. Excellent. So yeah, um, you know, on the topic of negotiation, you know, it's a really important business skill and life skill. Uh, one thing I've heard you say is you're not afraid of going into the fire, um, it will usually people, even myself, you know, in sales or, you know, typically cower away when things get really tense. Like, how do you manage to keep your cool? Did you learn it? Do you just reframe it in your mind? Or were you never really afraid of that? I like two things. I, I like challenges and I like puzzles. So to me, the fact that there's a situation that is incendiary, if we talk about going into the fire, that there are, you know, emotions at play and, you know, people are upset and all that. Um, it's an opportunity to work that puzzle out, to untangle it and, um, and then put it back together in a positive way. So I feel I, I go into it thinking, I believe that I can see a way to turn this 
unhappy negative chaos into some sort of ordered or quasi ordered happiness. And that makes me feel good. So I'm excited to do it. Um, and I, the, the things that people say and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's going on with the emotions um, doesn't bother me because I have my end in mind. And I know that most of the time I can do that. Not every time, but most of the time I can do that. So that gives me huge confidence. If you've walked into a hundred fires and you've, you know, maybe been lightly singed three times, but every time that you, the other 97 times you came out with more than you had before or happier people or whatever, then it's kind of a no brainer to walk into the next one. Right. So that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Interesting. So, um, on, on this topic of like communication now, it could be because like, this is something that I feel that is, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I feel like, especially people in their twenties, it's like such an important skill to, to really put a lot of focus and attention to. And I feel that with social media, it's even harder for us to develop those skills. Was that something that you intentionally spent a lot of time working on? Um, were you a natural? Did you have a mentor in that field? Um, I, I, you know, my mentors are all the people whose books I've read more than anything else. So, you know, I, it's like, I feel like my mentors are Henry Ford and, you know, Rockefeller and, uh, and all of those classic figures. Um, it, it's, um, I believe that, that the social media and removal, even, you know, when you have uh, discord and other, you know, ways of communicating that um, the not being physically present changes the quality of the communication. You miss out on all the nonverbal and all of that stuff. So um, when people have not got the experience of being in person, they're missing an important dimension to how they negotiate and communicate with other people because they're simply not aware of it. They just don't have the experience. So it's not that they're bad or bad communicators. It's that they're incomplete communicators. Mm -hmm. So I believe that, that it definitely like, this is great. You and I can chat. Where are you at right now? I'm in Riverside. Riverside. Oh, you're close. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, is, uh, you and I can chat without having to get together. And that's awesome. And wherever we were in the world, we'd be able to do that. So that's, that improves communication, but because we've lost so many other aspects, including the accountability of being in the room with the person that you're communicating with, um, I think creates an incomplete version of it. And so without adding that, you're always going to be a less effective communicator than if you also seek out that experience. I seek out that experience and I have sought to learn from as many books and seminars and coaches and masterminds and everything else that I can get my hands on because it's important to me. And I think that it should be important to everyone and that I watch the um, anonymous factor of hit and run communication where people can throw out a barb and then just hide behind their, you know, their social wall. And, um, I think that's, you know, that's, that's not one of the more positive things that this, these forms bring, but just like with anything, you can use any implement for good or bad. So, you know, it's, is it any different than anything else we've had? Not really, but you know, is it a widely adopted thing that affects billions of people and how they communicate? Absolutely. And should we seek to be better communicators? Would we go out of our way to also have live one-on-one -on -one communications and then try to carry what we learned there into this world? Absolutely.
Wow, that was really elaborate. And one thing you you talked about was just like really just absorbing a lot of information from you know masterminds and, and, and events and all these different things that you you mentioned here. One thing that I've you know I'm reading this book called Letters from a Stoic by Seneca, mm-hmm. and in that book he talks about it's better to master maybe one book than to read ten books. And I constantly hear this these different, I guess. Um, opinions on mastering one book or going and, and absorbing a lot. And I have, I heard of like the T model where you have a base knowledge and then you go deep on a few. What's, what's your take on all of that? Yeah. I, I mean, we can't know everything, but um, I think that the research shows that as a generalist, as opposed to a specialist that you will have, you know, as, as a philosophy that you will have more, uh, innovativeness as a generalist than as a specialist because your most of the great discoveries are from taking something we learn in one area and applying it to another. And so I see in deals and negotiations that if I'm dealing with an attorney who specializes in tax, then that person is going to be more creative than the attorney who now, believe it or not, specializes in section you know, 1031 or 365 or whatever, right? They, they, like, they do it by section numbers of the internal revenue code now. Wow. So that person is so immersed in the minutia of that section that they're not able to see the big picture. And to me, the big picture is very important. And so I like the T concept because, you know, let's be uh, an ocean of knowledge an inch deep in everything. And then let's be the Mariana Trench in a few things. Then, you know, and then, both of those things increases our overall understanding of the world. Whatever my core thing that I want to be best at or, or you know, most competent at, I definitely should go down that rabbit hole, but not to the exclusion of other things. So I think, shockingly, it's balance, right, that really wins the day with that. Nice, man. So um, one thing that I... When I went to see Pete Vargas at your War Room Intensive back in like 2019, in December 2019, and, and awesome. Pete Vargas, it was amazing, by the way. I What a difference between intensives and like, you know, regular events, like so specific and like really amazing of value. But when I went and I met a lot of people that are in War Room and, and in Pete, and people are constantly saying, Roland is amazing. Roland, like you get a lot of praise from a lot of successful people. And a big thing I want to know is like, how, how do you keep your ego in check when a lot of people are constantly saying how amazing you are and, and the success you had, how do you stay humble um, with all of that? Well, first I know all of my failures and they don't. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, uh, my failures are, you know, ever constant because I'm always trying new things. And so I think that that helps keep you grounded. I also just have a core belief that, I am no smarter than anyone else. I am no more successful than anyone else. There's no one that I can't learn something from. And um, so I try to put myself around people who are succeeding in the ways that I, I would like to be successful and that have um, the, the mastery in the things that I would like to have more knowledge or, or gain mastery in myself. But that's not to the exclusion of having a conversation with you know, a homeless person or a clerk or somebody like that, because that person might just have the most amazing insight I've ever had. And, um, and I'm open to that. So, you know, it's like, don't get big britches because it's just like, I am constantly aware of 
not thinking as big as I want to think. And people, some people might say that they think I'm a big thinker, but then I'm constantly facing, well, then if I was such a big thinker, my, my, this is my favorite thing is we watched the movie, uh, the social network about the invention of, of Facebook. And I get mad. I get in a bad mood after we watch it. And my wife's like, why are you in a bad mood? I'm because I didn't invent Facebook. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I didn't. I'm such a freaking idiot. I could have done that, you know, but I didn't because I suck, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and she's like, you are just a, crazy. But um, so, right. I didn't. Okay. I admit it. Stop beating me up about it. Yo, that is, that is so hilarious. That's, that's fantastic. I love, I love that. Um, I, I heard you because a big thing is I know you're like, you are really well with utilizing your network. I, man, I heard just how you put deals together and I was like, well, I didn't even think you can like, you can do some stuff like that. That's incredible how you're able to use your network. Um, I've heard you talk about like um, always when you want to connect with people, looking for the paid channel of access. So when someone who is high up or whoever, someone you want to get close to looking for something that you can pay to, to get closer to that person. And I know a lot of people in my audience are paying money for masterminds and they're paying for, you know, mentoring and coaching. Um, but like when you get into these rooms, right, you paid like $25,000 to be in a room with Gary Halpert and, you know, really big people when you're amongst those entrepreneurs or successful people like that. And you're in that room, how do you differentiate yourself from the rest of the people? And were you able to make that connection with the, the main person who has the event that they're throwing? Sure. Um, so one is, is to think about the, uh, the time horizon that you're going to connect with somebody. Because if you are trying to connect with a speaker who's just spoken about something that you're super interested in and you love what he or she has to say and you want to connect with them, um, if you run up to them with the 30 or 40 other people that come up after and you say, I want to pick your brain, number one, you're coming from a taking thing. Number two, it sounds gross. It's probably illegal. And, um, and you are competing with all these other people who are competing with them after they've just given, you know, to the audience and many speakers that takes a lot out of, they get, you know, they lose energy as a result of that. You mentioned Gary Halbert, Gary Halbert would basically say, um, I'm going to talk. And when I'm done, you guys need to not bother me. Don't come up after I'm going to go out and, and recover from this. And for me, it's energizing. So I actually like talking to the people, but, um, but for most people I know, they, they just don't like it. So that's a bad choice of an opportunity to go get to know somebody to stand out. You're not going to stand out, except you're going to be somebody that's, you know, one of, you know, for a lot of, in, in, in a lot of speakers minds, you're going to be one of the 17 obstacles that they need to get through to get out to get air. Right. So don't be that person. Um, you can come up and say, that was amazing. Changed my life. Love it. I'm going to try to find you later. Cool. Right. That, that should be generally okay for, for pretty much any speaker. So, so picking your opportunity. So then now you let's, let's use the example that you said of the mastermind. So now I'm in a mastermind and um, I want to get to know the people who are putting this thing on. And maybe I should also be aware that there's probably other people in the room I want to get to know also, even though I don't know that yet. So I'll give you the example for me um, 10 years or 11 years ago, when I went into the War Room Mastermind. So I went to an event called Traffic and Conversion Summit and was blown away 
by the quality of the people. And um, it was Brian Dice and Perry Belcher primarily that were on the stage for like 12 hours a day for three days. And it was just like amazing. I was like, this is, these marketing guys are super, super sharp. I want to get to know them. Well, they offered the paid channel for access, which I chose not to do because my schedule was too busy and then beat myself up the same way that I didn't invent Facebook, beat myself <laughs> up for um, not joining for the next year, went the next year and joined. And then I was like, okay, I need to stand out to connect with these people. So how can I do that? So I said, uh, well, one of the ways is they have this thing in this mastermind. So what's the format of the group, right? And how do I, how am I likely to stand out? It's definitely not going, you know, hey, please pay attention to me. It's give value. So one of the ways that people gave value in that group and still do to this day was through a thing called Wicked Smart. And Wicked Smart is where you share something that you have done that has achieved a result that is proven and the group votes on which one was best and whoever gets the most vets, uh, votes wins wicked smart. So I was like, I got to win that. And I was like, how am I going to win that? I don't really know anything that to me is wicked smart in the marketing world. Cause I'm a business guy. So, um, I was like, well, I got to figure it out. So I started asking people, I said, what's the biggest thing that you want to accomplish? And at the time, one of the things was, um, how do I get the email addresses of my Facebook audience? And, um, I was like, okay, sounds interesting. So I went through, um, everything I could think of to try to figure that out. And I found out, you know, well, you can import your list into Yahoo and you can get up to 200 people, but that's not good enough. And then as I was playing with different things that were integrations with Facebook, I noticed that on Skype for a minute, just a brief minute, when you did, uh, when you did a connect, you saw all the connections. I was like, so if I can get into that, I can get them all. And, um, then I just talked to some programmer friends and, you know, just went at it and went at it. And I finally figured out how to do it. And so I was like, that's a good thing. And then there were two other things that people had said. So I went also, I'm like, increase your odds. So number one, I want to stand out. Number two, how do I increase my odds of standing out? Come up with more than one thing. So when it came around to my turn to do Wicked Smart, I had three very, very good things that I knew people wanted because I had asked people and I really made it my focus. My focus was to stand out. I wasn't going to accidentally stumble into standing out. I was going to be very intentional about it and make it happen. And, um, and I won. Uh, and so immediately, Ryan and Perry, who I did not know at the time, said, uh, Perry came over and said, hey, man, uh, we're going to have dinner tonight. I want you to sit next to me. I want to get to know you. I want to sit. And I was like, sweet, right? So he sought me out because I added value to the group. And the group then said, that's a guy who we want to get to know. But then beyond that, I, I said, I'm, I, I'm really good at taking notes, right? I'm a very methodical person. And I, like, I'll go above and beyond and go, I'll go find the links that go with that thing and then some other stuff and put that in. So my notes are like very extensive. So at the end of the meeting, the first meeting we had, I said, hey, I take really good notes. If anybody wants them, let me know and I'll send them to you. And almost everybody did. So I emailed my notes to everybody. And then for the next few meetings, people were like, I need to get your notes, right? So I had, I was giving that value and there's a lot of great stuff in there uh, because everybody was sharing their best ideas. So now I've stood out. I've been invited to the, the quote unquote cool kids group to have drinks and dinner. And um, now I'm interacting with those people directly. And I don't say, 
man, I got these 17 things that I'm trying to do. Can you tell me how to do this? I got to get all everything I can out of you right now because I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk to you again. So tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I said, what do you guys need? What can I do for you? Right. And it's like, well, we're trying to do this and this and this. And I was like, awesome. I can help with that. Right. And I did. And so between, oh, and I'll give you one more thing. Uh, and I apologize if this is running too long. Oh, no. The, um, so uh, the very first, uh, the first night we had that dinner and I got to, you know, have that direct connection. And then the second night, um, a group of, I think it was six of us went out and those six people, we were just sitting there talking. And um, one of the ladies said, uh, I, I, you know, it was just like, what are you doing? She's like, oh gosh, I'm so stressed out. Her dad um, owns an insurance company with like 78,000 agents, giant insurance company. And she said, you know, and, and the best of his best, um, I did this thing with a guy where we're going to do SEO for him. And my dad gave me his best people and, um, several of them signed up. And now this guy is saying that he wants more money and he's not going to do it. And I'm going to look like, like crap in front of my dad. And I don't know. And I happen to be good at SEO. And I said, uh, I said, well, how many people are you talking that are like, that you really need to do this for? And she's like, I don't know, like 11 or 12. And I said, well, give me their names and give me the keywords and I'll, I'll do it for you. And she's like, oh, I, I, I just don't have a lot of money to pay. I said, no, I'm just going to do it for you. She's like, really? Yeah, I'll do it tonight. So I did it that night and they were ranked the next day. And she's like, holy crap, this is just solves all my problems, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then that story spread and she ended up being a friend and she ended up founding a uh, company called True Dog. Her name is Lori Taylor, which um, she ended up, I think, either taking public or selling to a public company and being, you know, just so like, but give, give, give. Um, and one last story on that, and then I'll shut up. Um, because this is to me, it's all about the give and how it comes back, right? So uh, three years later, Ryan and Perry have an opportunity with a CEO that um, that had an option to acquire some equity in the company. It didn't work out. And that person went on to do other things. And they came to me and said, man, you've really been helpful to us. Just You've just given, given, given and never asked for anything. And um, not that it's wrong to ask. I just didn't have anything to ask for. And um, we've got this equity that's available right now. Would you like to come into the company? And I said, yeah. So my opportunity then became to be an owner in the company because of the value that I had given throughout the time. I had this relationship with, um, with this person who she turned out to be one of uh, Forbes under 40 influencers and all these other things that like was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then um, another guy who was in this group asked me, he said, man, you do this business stuff kind of differently. Would you be willing to uh, be interviewed on my, uh, at, at the time it was a tele you know, telephone call that he did with, he had um, like thousands and thousands of dentists that he did these deals with. His name is Ed O'Keefe, who's still a friend. And um, he said, would you be willing to be interviewed for my show? And I said, sure. So he interviews me, we do the interview. And at the end, he calls me back and says, um, hey man, listen, I'd like to get a few of these guys in a room with you for two days um, and, uh, and then just split the profits with you, share your stuff with them. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, okay. Uh, so he calls me and I figure I'll never hear from him again. He calls me, um, like two, three weeks later and says, okay, I got 12 guys that paid 25 grand to come and sit in the room for a couple days. Um, when do you want to do it? And I was like, okay, great. So that was fun. And then we do the thing 
and I'm sitting out on the deck with him and he's like, man, if we don't offer them some, some way to get more of what you've been telling them, we're crazy. And I said, well, it's gotta be more than what we charge for this. And you charge them 25 grand. So let's do 75 K and, um, and, um, five of them bought the 75 K thing. And so it was like, and we just split it 50, 50. I had to do literally nothing except talk for two days about stuff that I'm already doing that I love. And, um, that was kind of my entree into this whole crazy world of what people, you know, will pay to learn good stuff. And, um, and that all came out of giving. So if I'd have gone instead with not, what can I do for this group? How do I stand out? Who do I want to get in touch with? And how can I give those people value? And I had instead gone, man, I paid 25 grand for this. It better freaking be good. I better get my money's worth out. That's a lot of people go in with that attitude. And that's such a huge mistake. You got to go in with the give, even if you gave to get in to be able to give, right? That's how, to me, you get a big network. That's how you get uh, access and, um, and can really have the opportunity to do a lot of different things. That's incredible, man. You know, uh, a mutual connection of ours, uh, Craig Hanley, he said, it's all right to give value to somebody. And even if you don't receive anything back from that, from that value 20 years from now. Yeah. You get, you have to give with no expectation of anything in return. If you expect something, you know, if you're Buddhist, they say that's the problem of all suffering in the world comes from that expectation that's unmet, right? Just don't have it. And then you won't have a problem, but it does come back. And it's, and that's a big thing with the long game. And I feel like um, it's so it's difficult to see that, through, especially as like a, a young person. We don't have too much reference experience in this, and it's just like we, we want that instant gratification because that's been like just you have to have both. It. You you so to me, you know, one of my big things is the short and the long. The the challenge is if you play solely short, then in the long run you alienate people and you don't have you know big bets pay off. If you play only the long game, you go broke playing the long game. So you got to do both, right? And so you need to be thinking about, you know, if you have no other choice, the short game has to be up to 100% of what you're doing right now until you get what you need to survive. And then you can make the investment of the difference, the delta between the 100% and what you need to survive should be dedicated to the long game. And then when you get to somewhere around, you know, depends on your personality, you know, 30% effort on the short game and 70% on the long or 80, 20, that's probably where you ultimately want to be, but it's okay to need more now. So if you're younger and you're just getting started out and you need to be focused more on the short game right now, because, Hey, I got to eat and I got to, you know, I got to pay the bills and I got to do these things, then it's okay. Just remember that, you ultimately want to make investments in the long. And so you're going to want to position carefully your short investments so that they are the most likely to pay off in the best way. And if they can be a little short and a little long, that's okay too. Right. Man, like you know, what you just described was like, cause especially like I'm in my earlier stages of business as well. So it's like just trying to figure things out with my marketing, like looking, doing like target market research and, and trying to make something click, like is, is like putting and testing stuff out and putting things out there. And you, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, like a lot of people don't know your failures. What's a big failure that you had that you were so grateful for that you learned just so much from? Um, did I mention I didn't invent Facebook? No, um, <laughs> the, uh, that 
that I've learned a lot from. I mean, you you learn from all of them. One of my favorite books, um, when I was interviewing Richard Branson, um, I, I like to get ready for these interviews. I look at what are their recommended books and all these things. And um, one of his turned out to be one of my favorite books. It's called Black Box Thinking. And it's really an analysis. It starts with the analogy of um, the black box from recorder from airplanes that gets recovered and the failure rate in the airline industry because it's open sourced within the industry to learn from every mistake that's made from every plane crash and all the recordings from all the black boxes, that has become one of the safest, lowest failure rate industries on the planet. And so that we should look and think about that and that failures are very educational opportunities. And so um, to me, uh, I was trying to think of like anyone in particular um, that, I mean, I learned from all of them. So like, like, big missed opportunity. That's one of my favorites was this thing that I walked into. Um, I was doing uh, property development with a contractor and I went in his, his uh, office and his office had like a couple of poles that were support poles and around one of the poles, there was a couple guys and they're like, yeah, we got this new invention. Check it out. We're looking for somebody to invest with us. And I was like, okay, what is it? And he's like, well, we tied, I'm a surfer. So I tied the surf cord um, to this thing and I drilled a hole in a softball and put a horse bit between it and then tied the surf leash to that and put Velcro on the end. And if you wrap it around a pole, the surf stuff makes it unwind and you can hit it and you can just keep hitting it for practice. And I'm calling it the hit away. And um, I was like, that is awesome. I am never putting any money into that for sure. And um, then he went on and sold millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars in it with trucks leaving this thing every, it was really funny. Um, one of the biggest uh, dumb things that I passed on. But, um, but what it just told me is I, you know, constantly every failure tells me, be more humble, think bigger, um, look at all of the different options, you know, minimize uh, downside risk. That's, that's something you get. Um, uh, the guy that wrote uh, Anti-Fragile, uh, does a great job of explaining that, you know, really for success, for wealth, for everything, it's about minimizing the downside risk so that you've got the stable thing. He calls it barbell uh, thinking. And on the other side, the barbell, as long as the, the upside is giant and the downside is minimal, then why not? Right. So right now to use something that's that's crazy that my uh, my son and I were just talking about is uh, the price of GameStop stock, right? Okay. So if you go into GameStop stock and, you know, you hear at the beginning of that, that, you know, oh, this guy said it and, you know, he's he's uh, a good predictor of things and um, you throw, you're, you're like, you see this moving to throw a thousand bucks into it if a thousand dollars can be lost with no loss to you or a hundred dollars, why not? Because you're not going to miss it. It just means you're not going to do some other thing that doesn't matter to you anyway with that hundred dollars. And the upside is huge. Some, one of his buddies just made 70 grand off of something like a hundred bucks. Right. So, you know, he's gonna pay off all his school loans and all this stuff. Well, that's cool. That makes sense because you're not going to miss that hundred grand. You're not going to be significantly disadvantaged if it doesn't work out. And if it does work out, yay, you had this, you got this huge potential win. Um, but if instead you're doing what my dad did this, my dad bet the farm. He made his money by betting the farm and he kept betting the farm until he lost it. Right. And um, that like the consequences of losing everything that he had built up 
was pretty significant. In the GameStop example, apparently there was a fund that had um, that was doing uh, that had done investments uh, called shorting, and they lost thirteen billion dollars right in this thing. So their loss was huge. Their upside was was big, but was it going to change their thirteen billion dollar lifestyle? Probably not. Right. So how can you organize your your knowledge bets, your relationship bets, your financial bets, your business bets around the things that you can afford to lose that have great, huge returns while maintaining on the other side, the stability of the things that are going to incrementally linearly get you to where you know you want to get. That to me is the magic of the balancing act. Oh my God. I got it. That was powerful. I got to, I got to go back and like re-listen to that several times over. That was, that was incredible. Um, I want to talk about some of the strategic partnerships that you um, that you have. So I see that Microsoft. So I see clients and partnerships. Are you did you develop a strategic partnership with Microsoft or is that more of like a client of yours? Yeah, no, it was um, we we had a friend that was doing a that was sponsored by them who ended up connecting us with them to do a partnership. Okay, awesome. So like how like what is that? How does that go about? Like how did you when that introductions made and what do you do like in terms of adding value or what was it, what does it look like? I'm really curious well, about what's interesting about that is the value of a bridge connection. So one of the best ways to get connected is to say, who's the bridge that's going to get me where I want. Um, there's a controversial friend of mine whose name is JT Fox, who's very smart and also very polarizing people love or hate him. <laughs> and, um, he had a strategy he wanted to get, this is years ago, whether you like Donald Trump or not, you have to give him credit for this. He said, I want to get to um, Trump. So he said, and this was before Trump was political. He said, um, so what I did first was I um, got to know some people that knew Trump. So one of, uh, one of those people was Rudy Giuliani, but Rudy was a little bit removed for him at that time. So he, what he did first was he got to know George I can't remember the guy's name, um, but he's Trump's attorney. So well-known, but not, had made a couple of appearances, I think on one of, you know, on The Apprentice or something like that, but um, but not like known like any of those other guys were. Got to know that guy and then one other person in the organization. And then that person introduced him to, I think it might've been Eric, it was one of the, one of the kids and also uh, Giuliani, and he started inviting those people out to the events and the other people had already spoke at the events that this guy puts on. And so he stair-stepped his way up to, you know, riding on the Trump private helicopter, you know, and getting to meet uh, him in person by building around the building blocks and building relationships around it. So he got referred up. I think that's a cool strategy. It's very methodical, um, but as long as you're honest about it, I think it's, you know, I, I think it can, it can be very viable. Um, that is a great way to have a, a, a bridge that takes you to where you want. The, the other way is to identify somebody that already has the relationship with the people, the company, the whatever that you want to meet. So Microsoft, I had been working the Microsoft deal for two years and um, there were 13 or 11 divisions of Microsoft, like some crazy number of divisions that they had. And then, and every time I get to the right person, that person would get transferred to another place and then they would disappear and I get the new person and then you don't get any continuity of relationship. So it just wasn't happening. And um, I noticed that a buddy of mine's podcast was sponsored by 
Microsoft. And I called him up and I said, dude, you're sponsored by Microsoft. And he's like, yeah, you know, they have this ambassador program and I know a couple of those people and I'm actually on the short list to be one myself. And so they sponsor my podcast and they, you know, promote me throughout their network and do all this stuff. And I was like, that's pretty amazing. Um, what would the best way in your opinion be to get connected with the right people for us to look at doing something like that? And of course I built my equity in advance. I, this wasn't a, you know, somebody I had never done anything for. And um, he said, Oh, well I can introduce you. And I was like, that would be really nice. And so he's like, Oh yeah. So he makes the call and says, let me set up a meeting. And he set up the meeting and I, he's like, you know, so just be ready to explain all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I got all my notes. I got my PowerPoints and ready to go. I'm going to have, I got this, you know, and um, we get on the phone and the guy goes, yeah, I just walked out of a budget meeting. So this is really good time for us to have a conversation because we're deciding the budget for things we're going to speak right now. And the guy that introduced me, um, uh, his name is Scott. And uh, he said, uh, he said, um, so Scott says that, um, that you're great. Yeah, we're in. Let's do this. Um, I got to go. Just send me this. Like, but wait, <laughs> obviously don't say anything, but it was like that easy. It's like, just because I had the bridge. So looking for those bridge connections that can get you there, you know, I couldn't do that in two years, right? It happened without me saying a word. So um, that, I mean, I did say hi, you know, so that was you know, <laughs> crazy. Wow. What, what a story. Uh, so I uh, pulled my audience and just say like, hey, if they had any, any questions for you here. So we have one from Tim that says, what's a business concept that you think is very important that most, but most people don't understand? I think that, that that's an easy one for me because it's very, very near and dear to my heart, which is that it's faster to grow by acquisition of other assets and companies than it is to do anything else. If you want to double the size of your company, buy a company that's just like your company that has the same number of customers and you have instant doubled company. If you want more leads, buy the people that have already aggregated the attention and eyeballs of your ideal customer profile. If you want more margin, vertically integrate, buy the suppliers and distributors that are above and beyond you in the value chain. It's like, that's, if you want to innovate, acquire intellectual property, you can, you can acquire anything. And that's where most people don't even think about that. But then you go beyond that and it's like, well, you need money to do that. No, you don't. You can acquire things with no money out of pocket. Um, you Not no money, just none, none of yours, right? So, and it doesn't have to be bank loans and credit. There's a million ways to do it. I mean, there's not a million that I've thought of yet, but there's 219 that I've thought of. So, you know, that's, I'd say that's it, is, is that, that growth by acquisition is so overlooked. And if you think about the money that you just spent to, to rank that website by hiring the SEO company and the experts and, you know, buying the software and all that stuff, you could have probably just bought the one that already ranks for it. Mm. And it's a lot faster too, a lot easier. Instant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my favorite thing with SEO too is uh, Neil Patel is a buddy of mine who, who does SEO stuff and he's generally regarded as a pretty smart SEO guy. Um, well, Neil built his SEO prowess simply by going around and buying the top ranked SEO blogs. That's <laughs> like, He's like, he's like, that's how you do it. He's like, how do you rank for all those terms? I'm awesome. And I bought them. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really smart. Um, I had a couple people ask this question. Um, one of my mentors, Steven Groters, and then um, one of my um, uh, people in my membership, Omar, said, uh, how do you keep a high level view slash vision on so many projects, You know, constantly seeing how systems are connected without getting lost in the granular detail of a single system? 
Yeah, the, the key to me is that is to think about where do you want to sit in the system? So if you are the doer of everything, if you're the technician that is the person who's pulling the levers to do the things that need to be accomplished at every level in the business, then you can't possibly do that beyond scope. So the first thing to me is that you need to not be the doer of those things. So get yourself out of that, which goes back to what we started talking about at the very beginning, right? That don't be in the granular, make a chart of all of the, um, of the functions in your business. And if you're doing all of them, write your name in all of them, then find the ones that are the least enjoyable and the least valuable use of your time that are replaced with the least expensive people who can't mess up the quickest and start changing those boxes to those other people. And you'll find then that your ability to do more, get more done, happens faster. Don't tell those people how to do their job, coach them so that they are building their muscles for making decisions themselves instead of just building their muscles for asking you, how do I do this? Which keeps you in that same box. And only you now you get to pay somebody. Um, and then move yourself up until you've gotten as many of those boxes gone as possible. Then you'll move into being the coach slash investor in your company instead of a doer. My goal is to not be on the organizational chart of any company I have anything to do with, right? If that's your, if your goal, depends on what you want though. I mean, like if you like doing SEO and you want to be the SEO person, by all means do that. But for me, it's get yourself out of that because here's the thing. Now that I'm not on any of those, I have infinite capacity, right? As a owner of a company, I can own as many companies as I want. Now I can't coach all those companies because I can only coach a certain number of those teams, but not all those teams need much of my time at any given time. So my span of control expands dramatically from you know the span of control, the number of people who report to you in an organization, they say shouldn't be more than between five and seven people. So if I'm up out of each of those things, each of the, like each level of the organizational chart has people under it that do new things. So if I can climb from being at the bottom of one, cause I'm at all of them to being three levels up and then up to the CEO level and then out of CEO to board to owner. Now my span of control because of the, the number of companies that I can invest in, you know, Branson's got what four or 500, you know, Buffett's got a ton. Elon Musk has got a ton. Like, the people that I look up to and that I consider, you know, my virtual or sometimes uh, in-person mentors are, um, are at the top of large empires of things, right? I don't like empire because it's got some emotional charge to it, but large organizations of things. So now I don't have to pull the levers and, and, you know, write the article for the blog and then go get my backlinks and all that stuff. I've got somebody that's 14 levels underneath me doing that super important job, super happy to have them value them tremendously. Not what I want to do because it doesn't allow me. It's so granular. Like you said, it doesn't allow me to be at the level that I want to operate. Beautiful. So I know one thing that you're, you've been working on, you know, since last year are these uh, epic challenges. We talked, we talked about acquiring businesses and here we are here. Uh, can you tell, talk a little bit about that? And just in case um, somebody wants to go and join that and learn more about acquiring um, you know, leveraging, scaling, and exiting from businesses? Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for asking. Yeah, so I, I really like the format of the challenge. The challenge is where you give somebody a thing that we're going to do over some period of time, usually, you know, some, some number of days. So mine is that over 
about a five-day period, we're going to help you identify five companies to acquire for no money out of pocket, to identify what those companies are. So I spend somewhere between 45 minutes and uh, 90 minutes during each of the five days telling people, here's the opportunity, here's how you find these companies, here's how you uh, reach out to the people, here's how you identify who owns them, here's what you say, and here's how you do it with no money out of pocket. And, um, and it's really fun because I get to see all the people. I just am in the, in the last part of it today. I did a session right before this where I go through and I give them a hypothetical and I say, okay, you've had five days of understanding how to do all this stuff. Here's a deal that I did now you tell me how you would do that deal, knowing what you now know that I taught you. And then we go through it and I show them how we did it. And it's like these huge breakthroughs. And throughout the time, I have people saying, you know, oh, we found this company. We talked to this person and we did this deal. That's super exciting. So um, that's, that's really, really fun. And it's at uh, getepicchallenge.com. Epic stands for ethical profits in crisis because I believe that everyone can win. And I love that, man. So uh, just to wrap this up here, Roland, what's what's one last thing you would like to leave to my audience? Like, you know, young entrepreneurs, people who are still climbing up and working to be successful. What's some wisdom you can impart on us that maybe you haven't touched on just yet? Um, that I haven't touched on. Um, I mean, really, it's just, uh, it, it, it's, I, I have touched on it, but but to me, it's it's one of the most important things, which is the give value first with no expectation um, comes back to you, but don't be the giving tree. If you read the story of the giving tree, it gave away all its leaves and then it couldn't give any more. So you have to think about yourself too, and that's okay. And it's okay to profit, um, but do it in a way that is within integrity of how you want to be and how you would like to be treated. And if you do that, it, it will come back. Just remember that ratio that we talked about that's going to be ever sliding. It's going to be more skewed towards 100% short and not much long to start with. But look at what you're doing, man. You, you got this podcast and you're building relationships with everybody that you have on it. And you're building a relationship with the audience and you're building an asset that will be valuable to you over time. And um, that while you're tweaking the funnels and clicking the buttons to try to get the perfect lead magnet and offer and conversion rates and all that, you're doing both. Um, but your short game is being benefited by this too, because you're getting some short-term benefit from this as well. So, you know, those hybridized short long-term plays, um, skewing towards those as much as you can, I think is, is really smart. Man. Thank, thank you so much Roland for your time here. Where can people uh, find you and, um, you know, maybe get to have some more information on what you're up to. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, they, so I have a podcast also called business lunch and, uh, I just had Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and Marcus Lamanis on it. So that, that was kind of fun. I've had Richard Branson and Sarah Blakely from, uh, Spanx and a bunch of cool people. Um, so that's my thing, just like you, it's like, you know, it's my free coaching. I get to have, you know, these smart <laughs> people and I get to talk to them and ask them questions and expand my network and build value. And, um, so that's one place. Another is the challenge, obviously, at getepicchallenge.com. Um, and then everywhere on social, I'm just forward slash Roland Frazier. So from YouTube to TikTok to Instagram to Facebook to LinkedIn, it's just, you know, whatever the play to find people on those platforms is forward slash R-O-L-A-N-D-F-R-A-S-I-E-R. That's where I am. And I respond to all my messages personally. Um, the content, I have a team that puts the content up because I'm creating content all the time, as you are. Um, but then... Uh, anybody that responds to that, I answer personally and clubhouse now too. I've got, uh, that's my new, uh, my new place that I'm focusing some attention. 
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much again, Roland. All right, everybody. Well, you heard it from here. Uh, I'd love to hear the takeaways you got from this interview. And uh, in the meantime, make it a great day. And thanks for listening.